Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and I am accompanied by the man, the myth, the litigator, Mark LaRocco. How do you like that? I like that, yeah. I improvised that. I didn't even think of that until I was halfway through saying it. (laughs) Wow. So, very good. You are, oh, yeah. You're a true yeah. professional in every sense of the I'm word. just, you know, just raising the bar. Just mm-hmm. raising the bar. Hey, and that was a pun. That was. Oh, my that gosh. Was. It, and, and the funny thing is, we're not talking about legal stuff today. I Yeah, I think you should save all your legal puns for when we do legal dramas. Should we do that? It's okay. Top Sounds 25 good. legal dramas. Yeah. Just kidding. We wouldn't do that. You know, what's funny is I'm not even really a pun guy. Really? I'm not. My, I have a couple roommates from from usu who could just rip them off mm-hmm. right and left yeah um i i typically don't so yeah, my, i usually don't think of it until after after the fact my my dad and my uncle his, his brother they are they're both two of the best pun guys i know i think of a lot of them but i don't say them which i've heard violates one of the first rules of puns is that mm-hmm. no matter how bad or horrible you think it is you're supposed to just say whatever pun pops in your mind yeah. And, and then it also probably weeds out the people who aren't your true friends as well. So. <laughs> I guess so. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so, uh, so, so tonight is not going to be a legal-themed uh, uh, episode, which is too bad because, as we were talking before, it sounds like you've had some exciting mm-hmm. adventures in the, in the legal field That's right. uh, this week. But uh, we'll, we'll save that for a future episode so I can study up on some of the great, the great legal dramas. In fact... As I'm as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I used to show my students Twelve Angry Men mm-hmm. before we would get into our official kind of like persuasive argument unit where they would have to put together. They're they're getting started on their final papers now, so yeah. So uh, well, if you if you sense if you sense a disturbance in the force, it's uh, <laughs> it's about twenty odd English twenty ten students from Weber State who are who are starting to feel more tense. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking of legal uh, litigation. Being in the courtroom is like being in a battle. Oh, right, it is. There's a segue. It is. It's like look at you. It's wartime, but it's a war of words. It's a war of persuasive arguments, and you're really trying to convince one person. Um, Because in my my field of work, it's all bench trials, which is just the judge. It's not jury trials. So we're always trying to convince one person um, with our arguments and how we present witnesses and exhibits, and and it, it can feel like a battle. I mean, it really can. It's not obviously you're never going to die or get physically hurt, but it can be quite emotionally draining. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, man, now that I'm thinking about it with, with you being a lawyer and me being an argument teacher, Mm. we could have a really interesting discussion about like legal movies. Yeah. Because we, we got to talk about movies, right? Mm-hmm. Are we still we're still legally obligated? Yeah, we are. We have signed the contract. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a copy of the contract? I still haven't seen mine. I, it still hasn't come through yet. No, I, I guess I didn't see it either. Uh, yeah. Oh dear. Oh, anyway. So in the meantime, let's uh, let's make use of your segue and get onto tonight's real subject, uh, which was inspired by a a recent release on our uh, our friends at Netflix. Um, there is a, a new version, I believe, because I believe there are previous versions, of All Quiet on the Western Front, which was a novel, I'm trying to remember when it was published. I know I've read it because I read it for AP European oh. History as I was a sophomore at Viewmont High School. I'm glad you yeah. read it. I didn't know that. It's a 1929 novel by Eric von Remark. 
which is that's okay. Yeah, I've never yeah. read it. Um, I I think I saw or mo- saw most of the 1979 version, but I didn't see the 1930 okay. Best Picture winning version. There you um, go. Yeah, because like I said, I know I know that it's been made into a movie previously, mm-hmm. and I do specific like I think we were talking about this in a previous episode where I couldn't remember whether or not I had read Tale of Two Cities. Okay. Um, and I am a hundred pages away from officially saying that I have now. So oh, looking okay. forward, looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll but look I'll... forward to that, Greg. Sorry. That's a, that's a <laughs> meet the parents reference. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so, um, I do, I do specifically though, I remember reading all quiet in the, uh, on the Western front because okay. that was kind of the, kind of the centerpiece of that you know, very first AP class, you know, one of the first classes in high school. And that was a, that was, that was a pretty intense course. I want to say, cause I want to give credit, you know, being a teacher, I want to give credit to my teacher. I think it was, it was Mrs. Layton, I think was my instructor. Hmm. If any, uh, Viewmont high alumni can confirm or deny this to me, um, I'll just be flattered to know that you're out there listening. <laughs> and can can help me along but anyway yeah so all quiet in the western front a new production on netflix um which i'm thinking was i guess technically a foreign film right Mm -hmm. because i got the sense that i was listening to a lot of dubbing of audio oh okay i watched the german (laughs) version oh did you yeah i i I didn't see that was even an option yeah that that's that was actually the default on mine so we may have had different experiences Uh. Although the movie was extremely visceral and visual, so I bet I bet our experiences were not that different. Yeah, um, yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, maybe maybe before we get too far into it, we'll just kind of let's, let's give a little basic setup for uh, for those who did not read *All Quiet in the Western Front* back in high school. Um, so, set during World War One, as you say, was written published in 1929. Mm-hmm. So that would sound about right. Um, it is set uh, in northern France on the, the front lines, kind of the, the trenches of no man's land, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually, um, although, I don't know, maybe we're just kind of used to this, but one of the things that kind of surprised me is that it's actually written and presented from the perspective of a German soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, basi- you know, pretty much just follows, I don't know, I mean, is it... Over a couple of years' time, yeah, you know, it starts starts off in 1917 and and lasts over the next couple of years, um, pretty much right up to the the end of the war. Armistice um, Day. Armistice Day, yeah. yeah. Which uh, you know, and that's I I don't know if if the Netflix timing was was conscious of this, but I know that one thing we thought would be kind of appropriate would be to talk about this now since we're kind of heading up towards uh we got veterans day just around the corner. oh that's right we're yeah we're in the ne- in the next two weeks i guess we're at uh, veterans day and then armistice day um i do remember yeah. there was a title card that said 18 months later and then it was in november you know, yeah eighth or whatever well, and then um so it mu- the movie must have started in early 20 uh early 1917 yeah i remember that i remember that specifically um now I guess I'm just going to have to betray my own ignorance here, but Veterans Day isn't supposed to line up with Armistice Day, is it? Because they're pretty darn close. Oh, actually, it, it it's eleven eleven, right? Is it yeah. the Armistice Day? Well, because that's what it was in the movie. 
you know, mm-hmm. not, not not to give anything away, but uh, they did end World War, World War One, and, World, and yeah. I believe that when they actually did finally sign the treaty, it was just it's going to be the eleventh month, the eleventh day, the eleventh hour, because it was going to be like eleven a.m., mm-hmm. um, which is a uh, a key plot point that uh, we won't elaborate on, but um, it's definitely definitely something significant. Yeah. Um, but that's that because that's I always thought that, that was Veterans Day or thereabouts. So anyway. Yeah, I, I guess I guess maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention in AP European history as I thought. Yeah, so it is. It's um, it says originally known as Armistice Day, and of okay. course I'm reading your favorite source. I won't name it, but oh, yeah, okay, Veterans- yeah, just don't. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't know which. I don't know what's worse is like not giving credit to the source or <laughs> using that source. Why don't we just uh, say we I are. knew it? I I just already knew it, and I was holding out. So, yeah, you know. it should be it should be common knowledge, right? You don't have to cite common knowledge, right? Yeah, and in in, in, the, in the legal system, we call it judicial notice. Sometimes a judge can just okay. take judicial notice of something um, it, without having to present a specific exhibit or something like that. So, oh, I'm yeah. going to use that all the time. Okay, if I don't if I don't feel like defending myself, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say I'm going to I'm going to declare judicial notice just like Michael Scott declared bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah, you just yell it and, and then it happens. <laughs> I declare judicial notice. My argument is valid. Yeah. So okay, so anyway, so All Quiet in the Western Front follows the uh, experiences of a primary German soldier and some of his immediate friends. Uh, his name is Paul uh, Felix Kammerer. Kammerer uh, is the actor. And uh, he and a few of his friends, we see them signing up, you know, kind of volunteering at the very beginning of the movie right after some opening action kind of shows an interesting take on kind of the uh, conditions of the war in terms of having to reuse supplies. And, you know, you get kind of an early dose of some of the, the violence and the, how terrible things were on the, in the trenches. Um, but then we, we follow Paul and his friends as they you know, they, they kind of think that they're riding off into the sunset and just setting off to uh, enjoy the, the glory of fighting for the motherland. Right. And all of a sudden, reality comes crashing down in the form of shells and, and bombs and, and death. And I mean, it's it's quite, you know, I I wouldn't for a lo- by a long shot call it the most violent war movie I've ever seen, but but it's it's violent enough and and you know terrifying enough that you you definitely get a uh, get a sense that this is this is not what they signed up for this mm. is not what they were expecting and and of course things just kind of go from there so um you know i mean there's there's definitely i mean there's there's some time spent on the trenches at the beginning and then some of the settings kind of change over the course of the film and I don't. I don't know that there's really need to get into too much of the plot. I mean, it's you know when you when you're centered around one character like this, and and they they go off to war. The question is, what are they going to experience? Are they going to make it back? And that mm-hmm. that's really probably all you need to know to get in this one. But, uh, but like I said, I I was interested. It's it's been so long since I since I read it that I had forgotten that yeah, it's actually from the perspective of a German soldier, which just seems really interesting, you know, since, well, for one thing, our, the U.S. was on the other side of, mm-hmm. of World War One, And um, I, as far as the movie goes, 
for me, it was it was relentlessly bleak and graphic mm-hmm. and violent. And I and I'm not saying that I haven't seen bleak or graphic or violent war movies that that I liked. This one was just it was too much. And hmm. um, there, I mean, I I was gonna like write down like for example all the different ways people got killed. And it wasn't even just that. No. I mean, there are people crushed by tanks and. Yeah, people yeah. getting shot and stabbed multiple times like in the face and flame thrown you know like burned up right. by flamethrowers and and then some of the killings are slow and one of the things i noticed is that um sometimes you'll watch a movie and to reduce the impact of like a killing or or maybe to get like say an r rating instead of nc-17 or something or pg-13 instead of r they'll they'll turn the camera away like right as the right as the bullet hits, or or that yeah. you'll just see like say the blood spray, but not like the head splattering or whatever, you know. And um, in this movie, it the camera just it's almost like torture porn. Like the camera lingers on some of these deaths on their faces and their eyes as they're dying, and uh, it was it was hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I've seen I've seen plenty of war movies. I've seen plenty of violent movies and. I mean, it almost felt more like a horror, like a set of horror killings, like in a horror film. Um, and so, and I don't know, like I, I haven't seen the 1930 version. I haven't read the book. Um, I guess I don't remember the 1979 version, although I, I believe I'm I saw guessing they one. weren't as graphic. Yeah, I don't think it was. <laughs> the Ernest Borgnine movie probably wasn't. But <laughs> probably not. The movie's meant to be that way because it's one of these like platoon type of movies where. Yeah. You're, you 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 yeah. want to send somebody off to war that's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and patriotic and, like you said, ready to fight for the fatherland, and then you want to just throw them into, like, just the darkest abyss of human existence and portray all of it on film in an attempt to make really an anti-war film, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, there are other movies that are that were probably unabashedly, like, pro-war, and this is an as anti-war I think as you could get, you know, I mean, cause not only does it just show all like the, the just uncompromising brutality of war in all it's just, you know, horrible, inglorious, bloody, you know, violent fights and everything. But it also, um, it shows the like, so you have the soldiers, you have the frontline people that are like literally on the Western front and they're mostly fighting in trenches and mm-hmm. they're almost gaining no ground. Like I, I've read a little bit about this and one of the hardest things about these battles that they show and, and World War One is although there were just millions killed, they hardly really didn't change anything. Didn't change anything. Yeah. Um and yet the people on that are sending them to die are they almost don't care. Like even though they're hearing the numbers come in, they're hearing the stats come in about how they're not gaining any ground and they're losing soldiers yeah. constantly, it's like we're we're still doing it. It almost reminded me of like a Hitler like where Hitler's just ready to take all of Germany down with him, like right before he commits suicide. And yet this was, uh-huh. you know, pre-Hitler. Um, this is the Kaiser. And so um, it's, it, that part was pretty sad, you know, because. Oh, yeah. yeah no, and I felt, I felt, I also felt like they were really trying to emphasize that, just the detachment of the people calling the shots versus those who were, taking the shots yeah exactly you know, and calling and just, versus taking yeah i mean especially like like i said i mean i i really don't want to spoil any mm-hmm. any of the the experience um but that really is 
the point at the end. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the thing that, yeah, that really makes this movie what it is. Yep. And you know, I can't say much more than that, but uh, it's not meant to be a feel good movie really. Oh no. At at any point, but it's a movie that's supposed to take you down a path of saying like, this is what these boys went through and this is how it works. And it's not even like a, like we say, it's a novel, right? These Paul Baumer and all these people are, are made up and, and um, but they represent real, you know, flesh and blood soldiers who fought in World War One, um, and and I guess it, it does make you and may, I don't know if it's meant to do this, but it kind of makes you a little sympathetic towards who we see as the villains who are supposed to be the bad guys, you know, the German soldiers, because yeah. they don't know any better. They're just like us or the French or whoever. They're just a mm-hmm. bunch of patriotic seventeen-year-olds that want to fight for their country. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, when I'm watching it and, and I, I knew I, you know, I, I figured it was going to be pretty grisly and, and gruesome. It was much more than I thought, but like, I, I could tell that when they're celebrating and exciting, you know, they're almost chanting and singing about marching onto Paris and they're all happy. I could almost predict, I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is going to get real bad. For oh, them. oh yeah. You know, no, <laughs> like, that, that you have that sense through the whole movie right. where anytime any you you sense that there's a light at the end of the tunnel oh you know that it's not light at the end of the tunnel it's, yeah. it's something something bad's going to be on the way that mm-hmm. that that is yeah i found I, that quite relentless i mean now i i winced i visibly winced several times in the movie i turned my head at a few scenes that i just i knew what was about to happen and i'm like are they really going to show it and and i i mean it was there were some moments that, i don't know if cringe is the right word but it was just it was extremely like that's that's one reason I just I mean I don't recommend it if you can tell, but you know I think hopefully from our review when, we, when you give people like they know whether they would be interested in seeing it or not. Yeah. Like oh yeah. Well, I I do want to see it. I, I you know maybe I need to experience the horrors of war without having to, um you know without having to actually be in a war. But there's also another method um where people at, have you heard of like the rob harvilla method of like experiencing horror movies no oh and this is i'm just saying this because this is kind of like a horror movie in some ways um basically for people that don't want to go through the trauma of an extremely terrifying horror movie they actually read the plot it's completely cheating and oh, i would never okay. review a movie this way but they actually go on wikipedia and read the plot summary because wikipedia does that which sometimes oh, okay. i kind of don't like but i kind of like it because i do that a lot and they don't do it until the movie's been out a little while. They won't do it like on opening night or whatever. Like they won't, it's yeah. not like a spoiler, but that way. And so maybe if people are really interested in the, in the story, I mean, I would say just read the book, but you know, if people really want to see what they're talking about, but they don't want to like experience all of the kind of gory brutality of, yeah. of this depiction of war, you know, you could, you could read about it, but you know, and, well, and I don't doubt that it was this way. Like, I'm not trying to say it's inauthentic or unrealistic at all. Like, I, I think oh, it no, probably I think was. That, yeah. You know, it's just a lot to take in, you know. Well, what's what's funny is it, it's, it almost seems like you and I came at the movie from opposite mm. positions. Okay. Where I found out about it, not because I was browsing Netflix, but because I found uh, an article where... You know, there's there's a kind of a news site that I'll get on, and one of their one of their commentators did just kind of a quick little mention, a little review of it, and and he actually said that it was 
extremely violent and hard to get through. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went into it. Oh, you, pr- you were kind prepared. of expecting the worst. Okay. And, and to me, the worst is saving private Ryan. Oh, right? okay. Where you just have people literally getting blown apart and pieces here and there and, and, guts galore and and all this i mean i i I don't want to sound too flippant about this but but i went into all quiet on the western front expecting something similar to that Hmm. and while it was definitely very violent and there and there were some moments that they were not especially gory but just very bleak i mean you you already you already mentioned you know i I guess we've already spoiled the idea that uh, some some tanks are involved in deaths that have nothing to do with shells, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and like that was, it, it wasn't particularly gory, but it was just kind of, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just, just the reality of dying that way by having a tank roll over you is. And so, so there was that stuff, but I, I didn't, that, yeah, I guess I was just kind of expecting that there was going to be some kind of response to the, the Omaha beach hmm. stuff. And since it wasn't, I came away from it kind of feeling like, well, that was a really powerful movie, and it was definitely violent enough to be rated R. And there mm-hmm. were some real kind of moments, but but there also wasn't that that moment when, gosh, the one the one that still disturbs me to this day, and I, maybe I'll kind of talk my way around it just in case. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a there's a moment in Saving Private Ryan much later in the film where where one one soldier gets in kind of a life or death battle, like hand it gets in hand to hand combat with a with a. Uh, a German soldier mm. and it's you know you you mentioned before that you know some deaths are very instant and yeah and some are slow and, and agonizing and some are slow and this and this yeah. was like the epitome of the slow agonizing death and so is this I, near near the end because I think I might know what you're uh, talking about well it's it's the one where there's the guy outside with all of the the ammo that is too scared to come mm-hmm. in and help his oh, friends yeah. because if he, if he just would have gone up the stairs, he could have he could saved have the saved. guy's life. Yeah. And yep, I know yeah, which one that's, you mean. That's the one. Jeremy and, Davies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I absolutely, yes, it is a, it's a violent movie. It's a heartbreaking movie. It is every bit an anti-war film. You know, there's, there's no glorification of, of much of anything in this. And, and, I, I don't know here this this might just me be speculating again and I don't know if this is me just being getting older but it seems like the war movies that I've seen in recent years and this this one is a prime example they really seem to emphasize how young the participants were mm-hmm. yeah. you know because because this is not you know this is not John Wayne You're right you know this is these these they these are boys. They're, kids. they're teenagers. And, they're kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, it, this could be because I'm watching these movies now from the perspective of an adult, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it does seem to me like there is a, a kind of an unstated emphasis on how young just you how young these mm-hmm. guys really are. And, and that was, that was really apparent in this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't have. I didn't come away from it thinking that is the most violent, disturbing war movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it's still it's still that, not saving Private Ryan. That's so interesting that you and I have such different reads on it. Because I was just telling yeah. my wife. Is I, it okay I have for us opposite. to disagree, Mark? Well, it is because I, <laughs> I'm going to try to defend my position. Um, I, 
I, I, I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking two go. things. One, one, one is, I haven't, even though I love Saving Private Ryan, I haven't seen it for a long time. And yeah. I wonder if rather than desensitized, maybe I've been sensitized over the years because I don't even know if I've seen a really a violent movie for a while. You know, yeah, and, that, that could be, and it. especially a war movie, and especially a two and a half yeah. hour, just all in the battle kind of war movie. You know, well, because not... I just I just watched Full Metal Jacket again, okay. like a month ago too. So <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen maybe, that. Maybe that's it. Maybe I... I have just become numb to all of humanity <laughs> and need to, you know, spend some time. Maybe yeah. I need to go rewatch My Little Pony and give it another chance. But I I remember Try to get reset. Sorry, <laughs> but I I remember like Saving Private Ryan pretty well because it is one of my favorite movies and and i remember some of the deaths and some of the graphic scenes and i know that most of them are in the first like 25 minutes where it's just an assault on on the senses and assaulting the beach and so i'm i'm you know so i could be wrong but i i just felt like there was definitely graphic war violence in that movie that just oh yeah that would that really like fit what they were trying to do but ultimately maybe i'm justifying it because it had a better you know ending in my opinion it had a more patriotic message and it was about americans that could be that i'm american and so i'm not likely as likely to identify with a, a german movie made by germans about oh, okay. germans but um i i do think that there was some violence in this movie that was just more even more more gratuitous and more particularly some of the face and neck stabbings in it that where it's just oh, like yeah. you see quite a oh, bit and the camera does no, not leave that's, and there's yeah. some close-ups and I and I know there's some stuff similar to that in Saving Private Ryan but you know even that first that beach scene um at the beginning I mean a lot of it is just quick it's just one thing to the next one thing to the next you know like oh he's yeah the guy gets a yeah. limb blown off for a second and and it was interesting because Spielberg who's a storyboarder and he writes everything that a lot of that was sort of improvised he he just kept mm. filming, filming, filming over the course of a really long time, and just decided what to use. And um, he, he, it's funny. He, I remember, I was, I'm reading this book about Spielberg, and he was saying that he turned to Tom Hanks, and he's like, "Is it bad that I, I don't feel?" Uh, he goes, "I feel guilty having so much fun making this picture." Like he was <laughs> having a lot of fun making that movie because he, because Schindler's List was a horrible experience uh, for him, uh-huh. and. He said he would like call Robin Williams at night just for a laugh, like just to try to cheer him <laughs> up. And he had had to be away from his family and his kids. And it was just, you know, even though they're both kind of violent war movies or whatever, like first he had a lot more fun making Saving Private, Saving Private Ryan. But um, I kind of wanted to talk about like we, we, we both meant we both agree this is an anti-war film. Sounds like. Oh, for All sure. Quiet on Western yeah. Front. Yeah. yeah. Um, Truffaut, the French film, film director, he said that it was basically impossible to make an anti-war film um, because mm-hmm. in depicting war and, and you know, like the heroic uh, actions of, of war, yeah. you know, warriors and soldiers, it automatically valorizes it or glorifies it in a way that even if you're trying to make an anti-war film, it ends up being pro-war or at least not anti-war. And then Ebert had a response to that when Platoon came out and he was like, I guess Francois Truffaut has never seen Platoon because, <laughs> you know, that one is one of these, like a young soldier goes over to Vietnam. He, he's not really as excited as like, say the soldiers at the beginning of, no. you know, all quiet on the Western no, front, he but, is not. <laughs> but like he experiences just, it, it's more than just death. You know, it's the, the bugs and the cold and the, and like seeing and witnessing and being involved in acts of torture and, 
um, soldier, bad soldiers, soldiers who aren't really good guys around him, you know, like lots of stuff that just he didn't really expect. And it, it, it's pretty much an anti-war film, you know. And it's made Platoon. by a guy who hated the yeah. Vietnam War, you know, Oliver Stone, who was involved yeah. in it. So, yeah, I, I think it is possible to make an anti-war film. You know, I would disagree with Truffaut. Uh, well, here's here's my take on that because I do I do think that's a very an insight. It's a very insightful comment and an insightful thought. It it seems to me like you can still be anti-war while championing the the best of humanity i don't know i'm trying to yeah. think of, I, mean, like, I, I think you could I still think, depict I think you can, bravery you can be heroic right yeah. right like you yeah. can still i i think that the one thing that, that a lot of these movies do is they showcase how the human spirit can respond to just awful circumstances and and do you know like I said, I mean, it's it's not that it glorifies the war, but it 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 has a way of bringing out the best in some people and mm-hmm. the worst, right? And and so it seems like the question then is that is this movie emphasizing one or the other? Because Platoon absolutely is very very focused on emphasizing the absolute worst of you know it's it's kind of almost like a Lord of the Flies type thing where, you know, we, we send them over into this, this place and kind of give them free reign and they just go crazy. And, 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 and so, cause I, I mean, I'm thinking of 1917, the mm-hmm. one from, yeah. Was that 2019 was when it came out? Um, it was, yeah. yeah cause it, yeah. 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 So because that one, I mean, it's hard to argue a, as a pro-war film, right? But I don't know that I would call it an anti-war film. I mean, the it's really about kind of a noble quest. Oh right? yeah, I is, I don't is, find that an anti-war film. Yeah, but I guess I guess well, what I'm what I'm getting at is that it it just seems like it's up to the movie to decide what it wants to emphasize, and that's what it makes it. You know, it's not, it's not, I mean, I don't know the last time, I mean, I, we really have to kind of think about this, but like, to me, it almost seems like it's not anymore. It's not a question of pro-war versus anti-war so much as anti-war versus pro-humanity. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, and I guess, I guess that's what I'm trying to articulate is this idea that I, if some if something positive or something if there's some kind of a quote unquote happy ending, mm-hmm. it's not a celebration of war necessarily. It's a celebration of people. the human spirit and, and, or people. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I don't know. I don't know. Like, so I, you know, and honestly, that sort of thing. That's one of the things that I kind of struggled with with Saving Private Ryan was that I I had no issue whatsoever with the. The comment that you know this is terrible. Look at this. This is so awful. Look what, what they're going through, etc. But again, I kind of thought about the context, and I thought, okay, well, yes, but these people—they're not dying for nothing. Mm-hmm. They're dying because there is this inhuman force that is trying to—you know—this infection that is trying to spread around the world. Yeah, and that is worth 
sacrificing for. And I, I kind of felt like the movie by itself never really seemed to acknowledge that. Yeah. At least the way that I was reading it. And so, I don't know. So it's it's not necessarily the glorification of war, but I mean, war is absolutely justified in, in certain cases. I don't think you can argue against that. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you can argue against it, but I don't well, I think if, agree. You know what I mean? That's probably one way to look at it. Like if, if you're depicting a war on screen that is for a good cause, let's say to stop the spread of Nazism and to save the Jews, yeah. well, then it would kind of be hard to make an anti-war film maybe about that especially if you're depicting it from the allied side right but so many vietnam wars and many people felt we should have never gotten involved in the first place yeah they're more likely to be anti-war movies because they're just anti-vietnam war so they're not trying to present it as a good thing and there's still heroes and people Mm -hmm. who sacrifice for others and but then you think gosh maybe the sacrifice is pointless (laughs) yeah like forrest gump sorry But, but like yeah like yeah i always remember the way that Private Gump um, saved his buddy, <laughs> uh, Private, what was his name, Bubba? It jumped up and bit me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he got sorry. to go meet the president. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I so I found that quote, by the way. I was, I was going to read it because this is kind of interesting. So it's from okay. the Chicago Tribune, 1973. The interview asked, tr- uh, viewer asked Truffaut, there's very little killing in your films. How come? Truffaut says, I find that violence is very ambiguous in movies. For example, some films claim to be anti-war, but I don't think I've ever really, I've really seen an anti-war film. Every film about war ends up being pro-war. And the interviewer says, even a film like Kubrick's Pass of Glory or his Dr. Strangelove? Yes, I think Kubrick likes violence very much. And then the interviewer says, I have thought about Truffaut's point for the last two weeks, and only now am I beginning to understand and agree with him. In Pass of Glory which so many people consider the strongest anti-war film ever made. The film doesn't so much condemn war as the French government that thought it necessary to sacrifice its soldiers. War isn't hell, it's just the men who run them are frequently hellish. And every war film, just like every war, has its heroes, and that too seems to cut across any anti-war sentiment. As Truffaut said, it makes violence ambiguous. So I kind of like that quote for a couple reasons. One is, it points out that War is run by men, always and forever. And sometimes the men who run the war, the you know, that are in charge of sending people to die, are doing it for maybe not very good motives, maybe the wrong yeah. reasons, and and maybe with little regard for the lives that are being sacrificed. You know, um, I'm not saying that happens all the time, but I'm sure it does happen quite a bit. Um, and then the other thing is that there are heroes. You know, like. It, even in, in, in All Quiet on the Western Front, you know, like, there are good guys. It's not just a movie full of antagonists, you know, like, oh, who right. am I going to cheer for? Like, there are good people, and there's people you really feel for and you sympathize with. And, and and maybe that's what made the violence even harder for me, because so much of it you're seeing through the eyes of this main Paul Baumer character, and you're just feeling sorrier and sorrier for him, and, like, how long does this have to go on? You know, it's just it's getting worse and worse, and... um and his eyes, I, I love the way, there's quite a few scenes of eyes that are just full of, like, you, you can actually p- see people's innocence just being ripped from them, like, mm-hmm. just the way that the filmmaker depicts their eyes. Because, um, it, like I said, it starts out so optimistic, and then it's just, it just, you know, it gets rough from there. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's definitely heroes, and there were light moments. I mean, it wasn't just constant, you know, there, there's, there's some some light moments and some uh, some moments where it looks like things are going to be better and 
or they find a bunch of food and you know they can be have a meal and eat but um yeah mostly it was just it was relentlessly bleak for me yeah no and i i i agree i mean it was i mean and maybe that's definitely I wish I wish I remembered more about the book, honestly, because yeah. the one one thing I feel like I can't do is give a comparison in terms of yeah 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 how faithful it was to the original material because my sophomore year of high school was a lot farther back than I care to admit. Yeah, <laughs> um, one one thing but, I uh, that I do know of the book that's not in the movie is how some of the soldiers struggle with post-war life or when they're mm-hmm. on, when they're in civilian life. Um, and I, I, this, it didn't really seem to be in the movie. I mean, it was mostly yeah, all battles or between battles, you know, kind of. No, it was, um, it was very in the moment. Yeah. And, then in the I, moment. and see, well, that's, that's one of the things I was asking was I was trying to remember, you know, did the book just follow Paul the whole time or was it, kind of toggling back and forth with the the treaty negotiations you know yeah. because i mean that's frankly that's that's the only place where i saw a familiar actor um oh daniel uh brule yeah daniel brule yeah um yeah who plays plays one of the the representatives who's basically have to decide whether to sign the the armistice ar- mm-hmm. the armistice yeah and it just but, it uh, just felt like a surrender and i guess it basically was you know it oh was yeah a surrender yeah. to to the french but yeah yeah no it was it was i mean i would definitely call it a good movie i i don't think that it would rank in my it's always such a weird term to use for this kind of thing like do i say i have a favorite war movie because just like you say i mean kind of given the nature of the content and all that do you want to say this yeah. is a favorite experience or right you know and i and i don't i don't feel you know i don't i don't feel fluent and authoritative enough to say oh this is like the best war movie right mm-hmm. i mean it's i still feel like i'm kind of coming down to my my opinion confined by the uh you know the limits of my my experience and what i've seen but yeah but one way or the other i i wouldn't rank this one on any of any of my my top lists yeah i, and, I wouldn't either you know but i i mean the I filming I mean, like was was great like oh, i yeah. thought the the picture the cinematography and the scenes just were awesome and some of the overhead shots of like the mm-hmm. battlefield it's just like there's smoke rising everywhere and there's bodies and you'll see one person like crawling out of a pond and yeah i mean i there was a lot of the production values i thought were it was very high well i mean you uh, can you can see where tolkien was inspired to come up with mordor right i mean wasn't wasn't world war one a big mm. part of the inspiration for the lord of the rings i didn't i didn't know that Wow. I I think so. Maybe don't quote me. Okay, but uh, I, that does I because I want to say that he yeah. that that inspired a lot of it, and then he wrote it during the Second World War when he was writing to his son. Hmm. Like that port that portions of the books were actually sent to his son in kind of serial form. Yeah, but uh, anyway, that could be. I might have got that off Wikipedia, and mm-hmm. so really can't take it too seriously so well you know. yeah i mean remember wikipedia also 
Their uh, now you're going to defend Wikipedia. Come I, okay, on. let's go. Let's move on. Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, so now you've already brought up Saving Private Ryan. Talked about Platoon. Um, any others that this one... Oh, I have a lot to think of or well, like, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of war movies that I liked that I do enjoy and would watch again. And, you know, this, like I said, this isn't one of them all quiet on the Western front. Yeah. But, um, so, okay. So if you, so if you wouldn't recommend all quiet on the Western front as one of your, you know, primary war movie recommendations, what would you recommend? Okay. So it sounds like we have a disagreement on this, but saving private Ryan for sure. I love that movie. Oh, and um, I don't, I don't I, dislike Saving Private Ryan. Oh, okay, you you like that movie? Is that one of your one of your favorites among no. war movies? No, but you like it. No, okay, um, because you're you're wrong there. You're wrong to rank it so high. <laughs> um, yeah, wherever you have it ranked, it's definitely too low, and that's that's pretty much objectively <laughs> true. Um, but I just I like it, and you know I'm a Spielberg fan. I'm a Tom Hanks fan. I mean them working together and then they actually started mm-hmm. a pretty cool professional partnership that uh you know so it wasn't that. vin diesel that won you over to that movie was vin diesel oh, i'm pretty I sure forgot. He, was. he was in that he had a small a small <laughs> role right there were a lot of guys in that movie oh yeah there were Ted a lot Danson of there was a and lot of giamatti and <laughs> um apparently matt damon so have you heard that oh, apparently have matt you heard damon. that um like Matt Damon. The rescue joke. Yeah, my sister-in-law was telling me, like, we've spent billions and billions of dollars and lost a lot of lives looking for (laughs) Matt Damon. Somebody needs to just grab him and keep him at his house. Because you think of, like, Interstellar and even, like, the Bourne movies and Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, he's there's a lot, a lot, a lot going into finding him. Yeah, The Martian, that was the other one. He's marooned on another planet. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so... Again, Matt, again? (laughs) Yeah. He should he should do a Nick Cage style movie like that where he plays himself and he, oh, he gets like lost. Oh, like the and, uh, unbearable weight of yeah, massive talent. Yeah, like he could be he could be in the sequel. It could just be called like Lost Again or Finding <laughs> Matt Thing. Um, but anyway, I I just thought it was great and it, and it does like um, I don't know. It's uh, veterans that have seen that movie, like World War II vets that saw that movie in the in the late nineties, said it was like the closest thing that they ever experience right. to right being in the battle being being at world war ii um and so yeah that's that's one that i would i would rank pretty highly um mm. 1917 you mentioned that was really good yeah yeah um i thought it was such a creative unique way to film where you just try to do an unbroken shot in mm-hmm. a way it sort of felt like a little bit video game-ish you know, a little bit more like a concept than a movie, maybe for for, mm-hmm. for a little bit of it. But I still got into it. Um, but it also it also seemed like a justified use of the concept, right? Yeah, because there's following there have been plenty one of guy. movies that have followed the it's the whole unbroken shot thing. Yeah. But here it almost seemed like okay, well, yeah, sense. you could still argue this is a little gimmicky, but it mm-hmm. seems more justified because the whole idea is let's follow this one troop. I mean, on a mission. We should say this for yeah. for those who haven't. Because I, I think there are probably a lot of people who haven't seen 1917. It's not. I don't think it's quite as well traveled as some of these others. But uh, I mean, you're, you're basically following one soldier as he's trying to make his way. You know, again, World War One, mm-hmm. trying to contact some regiment before to they mount them. an assault. Yeah, to warn them that yeah that they're being planned for 
And so, so you're basically following them over the course of what about 24 hours. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember how long, but yeah. And, and it is, and they, they shoot the whole movie as if it's one unbroken shot for two hours. Yeah. No, that was a good one. That was a good one. And, and it's compelling. Like you, you think, Mm -hmm. oh gosh, will that get boring ever? And it it didn't for me. No, Um, no. Another one, I did like Passive Glory a lot. That was mentioned in that quote. I, that was one that uh-huh. I watched in my film class in college and did a report on. Um, that was an early Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick. I think it was like yeah, second Yeah, that's one of those movie. that I've heard of but haven't watched yet. Yeah, that was pretty much an anti-war film because it, it makes the French government look so bad. They're basically ordering this colonel, to, or this, I can't remember if he's a colonel or sergeant, to send his men on really like what's a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And he refuses to. Um, he and then they get punished for it. And he tries to defend them, and they get punished, and they're, they, you know, executed for it. And um, and Kirk Douglas plays the main guy, his name, Colonel Dax, I think is his name. And uh, and it's it's really cool. I I mean, it has cool music, and it's shot in black and white. And I don't know if that's really like what put him on the map. I know it came out before Doctor Strange Love, but it probably mm-hmm. did. You know, kind of herald his arrival as a as a new emerging, good to great filmmaker. Yeah. Um, so that's one that is kind of an interesting one to recommend because a lot a lot of people haven't. I don't think have even heard of it, um, and it's old. It came out the same year as The Bridge on the River Kwai, which is another oh, okay. another great one. Yeah, uh, I remember my my grandpa who was a movie guy. He had that on a VHS when I was little, and so I that's how I very first watched it. Um, I don't know. What did you think of? Well, okay. So we did talk about Oliver Stone a little bit. He has a yeah. trio of, of war films: Platoon, Born on the Fourth of July, and Heaven and Earth. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen Heaven and Earth, but I haven't either. Yeah, I, I have also not seen Born on the Fourth of July. Okay, so that one is is an I'd say it's definitely an anti-war film because it's yeah. And it's funny how this theme it, it emerges over and over where you get a young patriotic male teenager who's thinking it's going to be a great experience and ends up being absolutely horrific. And it, yeah. in this case, it's Tom the Cruise. The loss of innocence. The loss of innocence, yeah. yeah. And he, he comes back paralyzed and becomes like right. an anti-war right. crusader. And so a lot of the movie takes place after the war. Um, and he is... Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty intense. I mean, it's pretty hard to watch, but he was, you know, it's, it's really well done. And I, I recommend that one. Um, what else? I mean, Apocalypse Now. That's well. That was that one of the ones I was going to bring up. Oh yeah, Let, because tell me what you think of it. So, I guess one of the things that I debate with this movie, and and maybe I'm just getting way too analytical here because I think that there's a pretty obvious answer, um, is to even ask whether this is a war movie or not. Yeah, because. I mean, the, the one of the things I remember about the background of this movie is that, you know, Francis Ford Coppola insisted that this this movie is not about Vietnam. This movie is Vietnam. Like he was very, you know, <laughs> there was there was a lot, there was a lot of ego behind this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's there's actually a great documentary about the making of it that that, uh, that heart, some heart of like darkness. To, yeah, filmmakers yeah, that, apocalypse. I think some people actually yeah. kind of appreciate more than the movie itself. But but no, uh, Apocalypse Now. I, I will always tie it to my high school experience because in my, you know, my English class, my senior year, we read 
Heart of Darkness. So, so Apocalypse Now, set in the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. but based on a book that was written not uh, 60, 70 years earlier by Joseph Conrad. Yeah, I think it was set in, the set eight, in Africa, eighteen nineties. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. it was a pretty old novel. And so it's the same concept where we're basically one the the protagonist is sent on a mission to assassinate or to find a you know a fellow soldier officer who has kind of gone rogue you yeah know, he's he's kind of he's he's disappeared into the jungle yeah he's gone crazy he's decided to kind of enslave the people around him and he's kind of building up this crazy kind of cult type Empire. thing yeah it's yeah weird. and and so the protagonist is sent with you know a group of group of soldiers to go and get rid of him and and so we read the book in in english and it was tough to follow. It was one of those dense books that, like, you you know, you really kind of need the English teacher to help you understand what's going on. Yeah. But I remember at one point, you know, she said, this was uh, uh, Mrs. Horsley, she said, you know, this was actually turned into a Vietnam War movie called Apocalypse Now. And we saw a very brief clip of it in class. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, of course, thought, oh, this is awesome because I listened to, like, a 60s music and Jimi hendrix yeah. and the doors and <laughs> yeah and so yeah so, the end i think it has the end in it oh yeah, yeah very prominently yeah um and so sometime in the aftermath of that uh me and a couple of my best friends rented apocalypse now and watched it at like one in the morning <laughs> and yeah it was just one of the you know, kind of transcendent cinematic experiences I've had. Even just kind of watching it on probably would have been would have been like a twenty twenty five inch TV in so my my friend's basement. But but it's such a atmospheric film that it almost seems like there there are there are films there there are movies that I've seen that feel like they are more portraits than stories. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way I feel about Apocalypse Now, where Yes, there is a story. Yes, there is a journey. Yes, there are character arcs and things like that. And yes, it's set during the Vietnam War and it's highlighting, you know, well, maybe highlights the right or not the right term because it's it's shining a light on some of the awful things going on. Mm-hmm. But it feels like this, it feels like a dream. Yeah. And it's this, you know, I, I don't know that I would go as far as to call it surreal, but it's it's very... I, I feel like I'm seeing a portrait of this experience rather than following a story. And yeah. it's absolutely one of my favorite movies. But like I said, compared to something like Platoon, compared to something like Saving Private Ryan, it doesn't seem like it's a war movie in the same sense because it just really is kind of its own thing. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's where kind of the ambiguity comes in. But Again, like I say, the simple answer is yeah, it's mm-hmm. a war movie. It's yeah. really it's one of the first ones that comes to mind when you think about Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would go as far as to say it is Vietnam, right? Right. But, um, but uh, if you can if you can handle it, because it is it's definitely one of the more intense ones, and not even necessarily. I mean, it's it's kind of graphic in a different way, I guess, if that makes sense. Like. Where where saving private in saving private Ryan you're seeing people get shot up and and mm-hmm. different things like that. The there's there's something a lot more kind of primitive and and kind of because it, it 
the movie is not necessarily about war. It's about trying to get inside the dark places of the human soul. Mm -hmm. And, and so it just, it, it plays out differently, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe (laughs) it's interesting. I know because it is, it's, it's basically heart of darkness in, in the Vietnam war. The Vietnam war is more the setting or the backdrop, but it's telling the heart of darkness story. Um, And it, it really isn't about like Vietnam war battles or strategy or why they're in the Vietnam war. I mean, it's, it, it is the heart of darkness story. So but I do, I think it's probably a war movie. I mean, it's hard to say it's not. I mean, some people will try to say, like, life is beautiful or whatever. I, I just don't really consider that a war movie. Yeah, um, well, and same Jojo with... Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, uh, I, that's one of the things I was thinking about. Was, yeah. Okay, well, these are movies that are set during a war. Right. And, and they are, the war is the context for this story, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, do do you define a war movie as it involves soldiers in battle dealing yeah. with that experience or could this be, you know, like, like the because, well, so, so I was going to say, I was just going to say yeah. like, that was one of the ones I was going to recommend because, mm-hmm. it, because this kind of fits a different, you know, it's the great escape is far from an anti-war movie. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily celebrating war, but it's this, you know, it, and it's, but it's, it's from a different, different time there's a very different perspective on it it's you know a war it's a camp. fun fun movie it's if, a fun if, movie yeah it's kind of it's not even really it's not violent and it's not um i mean it has some very powerful moments it does you know and and yeah. there it's it's not it's not a happy go lucky movie yeah um there's there's some kind of classic big screen heroism with steve mcqueen and and things like that but yeah. but it also you know has some some kind of harsh realities that mm-hmm. though they're not played out as graphically as they might have if, if the movie was made 10 15 years later they're you know it's still a it's yeah. still a moving film but uh it's like a prisoner you know. of war movie you right know, like a, right a camp but but it's not really a war movie um it it has yeah it it, it i mean even like i guess uh, unbroken kind of is a prisoner of war movie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Even Bridge Over the River Kwai, it's really uh-huh. uh, self-contained. Like Some of these movies, I mean, yeah, I guess it depends on how you want to define it. Because we're uh, when I'm thinking war movie, I just keep thinking like, okay, a bunch of soldiers working together in a battle, you know, mm. sent out on a mission to do this. And and so, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of movies that have a little bit of war in them or a backdrop of war or take place during World War II or you know, yeah. during the Vietnam well, War. Well, because another, I mean, that might eliminate the third one that I was, oh, you know, going to emphasize because um, the deer hunter oh, is, yeah. I mean, so much of that film takes place here in a, in the United States. And I want to say Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm, that's right. There in, in that area. And uh, rather, I mean, even infamously, I think that like the wedding scene is, it's kind of the joke is that it just takes forever because yeah. this wedding just keeps going and going and going. But I know um, you kind of think that Michael Cimino was like, well, Coppola did it with the Godfather, just a really long <laughs> wedding scene, but it's actually longer. I'm going to triple it. Yeah. It's way longer <laughs> than deer hunter. No, but, uh, I mean, and see, and this, and honestly, I, I think that deer hunter is a lot more unfamiliar to people. I don't get the sense that people are, you know, know it, know it as well. It's, it's basically, you know, once again, it's the story of a group of friends who go off to war together, and uh, several of them wind up in a, a POW camp in Vietnam, and 
in the aftermath of that, their lives take very different, different directions. Um, uh, Robert De Niro, his character is probably the most kind of grounded of all of them. Who's kind of, you know, he's, he's that character that we, we see the movie, you know, through his eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, and see, now I'm trying to remember the names of the, the other ones. But I mean, the, John the, the main. John Cazal and Christopher Walken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's in it, but Christopher Walken is the one that, that really kind of provides the the main drama of the film because mm-hmm. he he winds up going down just this really awful path where he's kind of staying in, in Vietnam and kind of getting into the. the Underground. The like, under, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't know, I I don't know how much I want to say of it, but so it's not you're you know there's not a whole lot on the battlefield in in Deer Hunter. I'm trying to remember if there's much of anything that's really on the battlefield. It's it's really toggling back and forth between their lives before the war, their lives in the prison camp, mm-hmm. and their lives after their service when when their lives are yeah kind of flailing. But um, still, I mean. Whether you call it a war movie or not, it's an incredibly powerful film. Yeah. That, you know, another one of these kind of heartbreaking, you know, very, very human, human films that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, is always going to be one of the first ones that pops to mind when I think about, you know, Vietnam movies and war mm-hmm. movies and stuff like that. So, I mean, just um, like we talked about with war camp, like prisoner of war movies or, movies that yeah. have a setting during war but aren't war movies mm. there's also post-war movies because we talk yeah. about how like th- these people they go through they lose limbs and they have their friends die right next to them but the mental trauma and the mental you know emotional mm. and psychological scars from war are sometimes worse than anything that happens physically and some of the post-war movies uh mm-hmm. are are really good like have you seen the best years of our lives uh, it does not sound familiar off the top of my head. That that's uh, probably one of the best, or maybe the best kind of aftermath of war movies I've ever seen. Okay. And that was a, it was a it won best picture in uh, 1946, I believe. And um, so it's an older movie, and okay. it's about it's kind of about three different people people that come home from war and how they've changed and how they have to deal with their family. And it's, so it's you know it's kind of a family drama. And it doesn't really show the war. Like it really starts at the end, like after after the war. Yeah. Um, but some of these movies, uh, you know, other movies you've described, like The Deer Hunter, and they contain a lot of, you know, what characters are going through after they they get back. And that's mm-hmm. how Coming Home and Born on the Fourth of July, and um, you know, a lot of these movies are. And I guess I have one final one to mention that I really like that is kind of a little of an oddball pick, but it's Saints and Soldiers. Um, oh, I thought okay, that was yeah. very good, and it, and you know that's part of Mormon cinema, but it's one of the better, <laughs> better uh, picks. From, no, it was good. From I I, rem- I remember enjoying the first one mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah, uh, yeah, the was, first one. You yeah. know, it. Uh, I don't I don't remember a lot of detail about it because it was a while ago that I saw it, mm-hmm. but I do remember watching it and thinking, you know, for given that you know this is a very very uh, like a very very independent movie mm-hmm. with with limited budget and 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 scope and all that it it they, worked very well they did a good scale. job yeah yeah they, they did they did a small scale i mean obviously there aren't like big scenes of 500 people and huge explosions but like 
you know, I remember thinking, hey, that's Kirby Hayborn with a British accent. That was one of my thoughts. Like, <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. And then I also read about the filmmakers. They said when they first sent the movie into the MPA, it was rated R. And they're like, well, we can't do a rated R movie. It's like these you know, Mormon <laughs> filmmakers. And they had to change, I think, just... like two scenes. There was one scene where they there was like a death scene that had to be quicker. And uh, no, no, I think they had to bring the camera in, like like zoom in to lessen. Oh, I can't remember what it was. But they had to just make like one or two small changes to get PG-13. So it's pretty yeah. close to like an R rating and uh and you know ra you know movies can appeal their ratings anyway without even changing things sometimes they appeal mm -hmm. and they win but but i i liked that one i i think saints and soldiers is a good pick and um you know it's probably more i mean all these movies we're talking about are just not movies i like i'd even show my kids but that's probably the closest <laughs> thing to a movie i would as far as like oh, a yeah. war movie would be saints and soldiers oh you could show them great escape you know, I should. I watched that a, like a couple of years ago. I have that, and I I really liked it. I think it's need, that's a good one. You need to foster an appreciation for Steve McQueen and James uh, Garner, and I just that's a, yeah. But if I show them that, they might all want to get a motorcycle and try to jump over a fence <laughs> good or point, something. Good point. So, yeah, I'm not gonna. Okay, so so here's here's a question. Okay, and and maybe maybe we kind of use this as we start to tie this off, because as I was brainstorming just different movies to to reference in our conversation one thing that occurred to me was okay well are we covering like all the wars right mm. i mean m meaning the vast majority i mean pretty much everything we've been talking about tonight has been world war oh my god mainly yeah. world war ii and, and vietnam <laughs> war and then world war one is kind of the, the you know the inspiration impetus for it right yeah um and so you know i mean there there are definitely uh gulf war movies mm -hmm. um i'm trying to think i don't know that well i mean mash the first the, the original the mash korean movie yeah. is set in the korean war i don't think there are a lot of other korean war movies that i'm aware of i think there's um, a new one coming out called devotion or something i think yeah. there's a new war movie coming out that's about the korean war um, well and it, it struck me that we've really overlooked something kind of major from american history and that we haven't talked about any civil war movies right like all of our movies have been kind of modern warfare and and i've thought about you know glory yeah i uh, i should Get have gettysburg gettysburg was a lot of yeah. i was gonna say a lot of fun like it, it's it's a good it's it's definitely the kind of movie that I would recommend if if you don't feel comfortable with the more violent content of a lot of other war movies like Gettysburg. I mean, there's lots of battles and deaths and stuff like that, yeah. but it's it's nowhere near the kind of you know that experience. It's it's more. I mean, Gettysburg is more just this very methodical, clearly drawn, like walking you through the days of this actual mm -hmm. encounter and so it's it's almost more of kind of a like history a procedural geeks. kind of yeah 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 um but, but in, a, in a good way like you know it's it's just kind of a different it, it's a really kind of a cool way to get a history lesson um but uh I, and then and then one that stands out to me in frustration is that i don't feel like i have ever seen a good movie or a satisfying movie about the Revolutionary War. 
because I know that there was that movie, The Patriot, with Mel Gibson, which seemed to have almost nothing to do with the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. It was like a guy defending his family and his son runs off to war. And like an Australian, everything else was just kind of, yeah, Yeah. well, it just, it seemed very obligatory, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you could have set that during any conflict and it would not have been a different film at all. Yeah. Other than changing the costumes and the dot, you know, and so, and then I know that there was one made a long, long time ago. I'm trying to remember if I saw it or if I just saw it referenced. It was called Revolution. It was with Al Pacino. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I, I kind of get the feeling like the Revolutionary War, you know, not, not heavily explored. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway. You know, I feel yeah. embarrassed I didn't say glory. I, I can't believe I forgot that. I was so <laughs> laser focused on these two, the, the uh, on the 20th, 20th century wars. I, I didn't even think of that. But you're right. Hey, I mean, you know what? We could go you, back to you like managed, the great... Yeah. You managed to quote Truffaut. I think that <laughs> your contribution to this episode, to this, to this conversation... You're good, man. Yeah, I. But Glory is one of my favorite movies, honestly. Even even not even just saying war movies, like it's one of my favorites. So that that really needs to be on that list. But yeah, um, yeah, I can't think of a great Revolutionary War movie either. Um, and and even Gulf War movies, I, I know there have been a few, but like, I mean, let alone the Spanish American War. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Now I'm, wait. No, was that was that the Alamo? Did the Alamo happen with that Spanish American War? Or was that? That was the Texan. The, the uh, well, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I see. Here's here's so you're me putting me on the spot. Ignorance. But yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> Open up that Wikipedia page, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh. You, so you don't remember the Alamo, is what you're saying? I remember the Alamo. I don't remember its context. Uh, I remember. I remember Santa Ana. I remember Dennis Quaid. The Texas because Revolution, eighteen thirty-six. 1836. Yeah, okay, if I so remember I right. happening a lot later. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was from February 23rd to March 6th of 1836. Okay. I, I remember Billy Bob Thornton saying, I'm a screamer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't remember that. <laughs> he played he played Daniel Boone. Uh-huh. And so, so spoiler alert for those, you know, who everybody died at the Alamo, right? Like nobody, nobody. Don't lived. ruin it. <laughs> Which is, which is, I guess, you know, part of the reason we're supposed to remember it is because it was such a, you know, but uh, yeah. And so, so Billy Bob Thornton played Daniel Boone and he's caught at the end of the movie and they're getting ready to execute him. And it's like, I'm warning you, I'm a screamer. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's one of the, in fact, I want to say that I reviewed that for the Statesman. I think that Uh was one of the reviews I wrote for, for up at Utah State, so okay. so now I'm just hurt that you don't remember that because apparently my my review did not uh, sink deeply into your soul. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember that. I'll have to look look that up. Um, hmm. Yeah. So you just you just are anti 19th century. I, it's like that was so long ago. I I just really yeah I I can't believe I I forgot Glory, but I, there's there's some good movies from that time and um. I keep going back to the World War II and Vietnam, though. For me, those oh, are yeah. the, the big ones. And and nineteen seventeen is the best movie I've ever seen about World War One. But yeah, Dunkirk is another one we didn't. Between mention. the two. Well, I'm I'm just saying like, 
Yeah, I guess I don't. I haven't seen a lot of World <laughs> War One movies. Um, there's so many movies that feel. It seems like World War Two has just yielded tons and tons of movies. That um, Vietnam are yeah. far and away, far and away. Right, because you know. many of the people making those movies had relate like. For example, Spielberg said he made uh, Saving Private Ryan for his dad and his dad's generation. Mm-hmm. He's like he said that over and over. Like that was just such an important, like a gift to them, you know. Yeah. And he wouldn't know anybody in World War One. None of the filmmakers mm-hmm. alive today. And um, so I don't know. Maybe if we if we were around in the fifties and forties, we'd be seeing you know there would be a lot of World War One movies sure. that have just fallen by the wayside. You know, probably probably okay. All right, so I got I got an exit question for us now. Okay. So this is this this is going to cap things off. So putting you on the spot, can you think? And maybe this is something we've discussed already today. Can you name a movie, a war movie, that you have not seen that you intend to see? Uh, that's that's on your to see list, and you just haven't gotten to it yet, or maybe in the converse in the course of the conversation that oh I should. I should spend the four hours watching Gettysburg. Oh, I don't think I've seen Gettysburg. I don't know if I intend to see that. Is it? Is it? Is this one of your favorites? Or oh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know if I'd say it's one of my favorites, but it's good. Yeah, I would. I would recommend it because, okay. like I said, it's it's kind of. I would. I would almost describe it as a glorified history lesson. Okay. Um, a big. It's a big budget history lesson. Um, okay. And none of us have talked about Pearl Harbor yet either. <laughs> You know, my father-in-law really liked Midway. I, I would I'll probably oh my watch gosh, that. That's right. Yeah. Um, that was those. Those were kind of hand in hand, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen Midway, but I'm thinking. I can't think of one right now that I haven't that I haven't seen that I want to see. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, well, think think of it while I give you mine. Okay. And if you don't come up with one, that's okay. You can okay. you can report back next time. I will. Um, so one, one that I have wrestled with back and forth for a while is the, the film adaptation of Catch-22 mm. from, uh, I want to say about 1970, uh, which I think got more notoriety for what happened behind the scenes than the film itself. And part of the reason I haven't seen it is because, as I recall, it got kind of mixed reviews. Um, Catch-22 is one of my all-time favorite, favorite books. Mm. Probably one of the funniest books I have ever read. And and when I describe the idea of a something being a portrait instead of a story, that is the novel version of it, where you, know, you read, what, like 400 pages of this thing. It's set during World War II. Um, it's uh, Yossarian is the main protagonist, and he's, he's a bombardier. And they're in Italy, and it's just this this portrait of life in World War II, working, you know, serving on, in in the Allied forces, and going on bombing runs, and it's very anti-war. It's 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 very much. I mean, you kind of have to take it a little bit tongue in cheek because it's it's almost stated goal is to just make everything about warfare and and military minds look ridiculous and silly and stupid and just mm-hmm. like the madness of it all. Yeah. But it's, it's very, very funny and just some incredibly drawn characters, but the way it's presented, it's, it's 
so out of sequence. I mean, it's not quite a Slaughterhouse Five type thing, which you could also kind of argue is a World War II story. Um, but uh, there's so much kind of things happening simultaneously that it begins to feel like this just present portrait of of this life, and uh, which you know when I describe it like that makes it kind of understandable that a movie is going to be a real tough accomplishment mm-hmm. um and and that's that's in fact they i think george clooney just put out another version of it recently and i haven't seen that one either yeah i've heard um, that none of the movie versions have been really great yeah the book well um, and and reading the book like i say you kind of understand why like i really i don't even have any clue how i would try to put together any kind of a vague three-act form you know yeah type of type of uh storyline but um no one of the, one of the things i remember best about cuz i've i've caught clips of the movie like on amc when i was flipping around flipping channels and stuff but i've never sat down to watch the whole thing and part of it is because you know after what i've read in the book i'm not sure if i want to see that depicted mm. in a film um but uh one of the things i do remember about the movie is that it was one of the the main wedges in the relationship between uh, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel because Art Garfunkel decided he wanted to be an actor and he got a role in Catch-22 and so he was off filming when Paul Simon wanted to be recording and and there's a there's a reference to it in I'm trying to remember which song it was um, The Only Living Boy in New York mm-hmm. is is I think at least in part written to Art Garfunkel as kind of a you know, complained about, hey, why are you off being a movie star? You're supposed to be back here. Oh my gosh, singing with me, you know, and that's and funny. so, yeah. But uh, anyway, that's that's one that because I love the book so much, I kind of feel like in and, and I don't know, maybe maybe that's part of it too. Is that you know I don't want to see a piss poor job done to the to yeah. the book that I like, but but no, quite honestly, they're they're. <laughs> There are, there's there's imagery and stuff in the in the the book that I'm not sure I want to see <laughs> brought yeah. to life. <laughs> I know so. sometimes it's best left just to your imagination as a reader. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's a pretty yeah it's a pretty uncompromising um, portrait. So, I, I anyway. liked the book too. I remember that. Was okay, one so of you my did lost, read it. Yeah, I, I was one of my like. I'm tired of reading law books in between semesters, read another non like ah. book full of cases book. So I bought that when I was in Akron, good Ohio man. and read that. Good man. Yeah, it was good. I, I was like, what else has he done? Is this sort of Joseph Heller's kind of only you know, notable work? I, I think, I think he has done other things, hmm. but it was, yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the story, it begins and ends with catch 22 for him and, yeah. I'm sure it probably, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it didn't drive him crazy. Maybe he was perfectly happy. I remember me and my uh, friends, fellow classmates, some of them, we went to a, we literally went to a bookstore like after finals and just bought some books that were not law books. So I bought uh, Flowers for Algernon and Catch-22. Oh, wow. okay. oh, I don't nice. remember what they bought. I think they bought, there was a book called Ella Minop. I don't know what it was about, but it was. Okay. The name Ella, middle name Minnow, last name Pete. Ah. Um, but yeah, we uh, it was you know sometimes you just need to like need a break from that. Sure. And 
Maybe sometimes you need a break from like war movies and you need to watch a comedy or a Christmas movie or something. I mean, who knows? Maybe we maybe we should lighten things up next week. Is that <laughs> yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. Sounds good. With with some legal dramas, is this when we're going to get into the yeah? Well, so or maybe we'll uh, get this, back this... into Marvel. Marvel. Who knows? Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Because we are set to go see forever or wakanda forever black yeah. panther whatever whatever the sequel's called we're gonna go see it and should be reporting back on our next episode that's right um but uh yeah so i don't know i, I feel pretty good about this we, we started with a movie we've both seen and we ended with a book we've both read so yes. that was kind of cool and we have a teaser to a movie we'll see next week look at that look at that now <laughs> i mean if there was no other reason before for you to give us a big five-star review or a thumbs up, or whatever the equivalent is, on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on. I don't know what else to tell you. We've, we're 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 bringing the we're bringing the goods today, guys. That's right. And uh, thank you, thank you so much for for listening to us and spending time with us. We would love to hear back from you. And uh, until next time. Mm-hmm.